my bad. My bad. I did. I needed to press record real quick. We're recording now, but like we were about to have an entire conversation, and I was like, I just didn't want to forget that part. All right. All right. I like the crucifix above your door. Yeah, it's not mine. I moved into this room. I never took it down. <laughs> My dad insisted on one of those over every door in our house when I was growing up. Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, my my uh my parents have a different superstition. They they put a crucifix, but they make it out of these uh, leaves. They say, and like it's uh, during every hurricane season, we put them up uh, because apparently it keeps our house on the ground. Hey, isn't that kind of like the true crime ones where uh, first season when the uh, voodoo priests were leaving those on the murdered prostitutes' bodies? (laughs) (laughs) Probably probably so. They basically have to wait, get the leaves, wait for them to dry up. Then like it's these long, I forget what tree. It's probably from from a palm tree or something. Then they wait for them to dry up. the prostitute tree. (laughs) (laughs) But probably they have to wait for them to dry up. Then they have to take it to a to, to a church, have have holy water pour on. Again, we all know that holy water is dirty, but we they have holy water sprinkle on there or something, and you put it over the doorway. And apparently during hurricane season, it doesn't your your it will prevail at your 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 house from the windstorm. It's neat how God makes decisions like that. I always enjoy it. Yeah, uh, I believe I believe those are palm those are Palm Friday. Uh, crucifixes that they make i remember doing those as a kid too so uh god prevents houses from being blown over from uh crucifixes made out of their son uh about to be crucified and killed (laughs) that's just such a weird weird complexity you read the you read the bible and watch the movies this is this could be a great superhero movie uh if you think about it uh you you got you got jesus a guy who uh uh, goes around helping people. Uh, then the di- the day he's supposed to be executed, God takes his powers away. <laughs> All of a sudden, he can't heal. He can't walk <laughs> on water. He can't. He can't be. He 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 lost his powers of persuasion. And and that that's that's a true test. Uh, son, this is his dad takes away his power. Son, your biggest heroic action is going to be the sacrifice you made here today. I do like a superhero movie where the where the star character dies though that's a nice twist i noticed that we can't handle that now <laughs> after watching the last couple uh avengers and x-men movies they never let the they, they never let the guy die except for x-men i guess yeah oh i think they let uh i think they killed logan off in the movie logan yeah when when yeah at the very end when the when his crucifix falls to the side and is like an x like oh no they didn't <laughs> yeah but i think i think they did that with the death of superman uh i think i've seen that cartoon a long time ago never, never seen it no nah, i think Not it's a basically universe kind of guy no nah, yeah me, me too. i'm more of a marvel fan but i think the death of superman because i was a little kid when i watched it i think the thing was that superman you know went to the sun to save some astronauts who were like heading towards it or something and like the, the rays from the sun, uh, mm. I don't know, gave him some type of some type of uh, whatever. And apparently he was uh, he was dying. They told him uh, like a, someone told him he was dying. And he said like then like it was up until he was dying that like, I don't I don't know. So somebody came over and he and like he was getting his ass kicked and he knew he had to like he had to sacrifice himself in order to save humanity. Huh. I wonder, he died in the U.S., so he might have died because he didn't have insurance. So. <laughs> Probably so. Uh, Sorry, we don't cover, we don't cover Krypton, Krypton's medical here. You'll have to go to another hospital. <laughs> we, don't, we don't cover uh, direct sun rays from after you help, uh, some, <laughs> after you help save some astronauts, some true American heroes. The president, if the president had done it, I bet you they, they would have taken him straight to some military base. Probably in the moon or something. Superman and uh, Superman and uh, the World Trade Center uh, fire firemen have the same health care because they neither of them are covered. Um, <laughs> oh shit! Uh, we're not even ten minutes in. I think we're gonna That's get in trouble. Time. Probably. Right. Um, so tell me about yourself. Where where are you? Uh, I see this became your podcast now. Uh, I'm in uh, Houston, Texas. 
I, I'm, wow. I live I live in the small town off Houston, Texas, while I'm going to college. Uh, I kind of like the small town lifestyle, so I, I'm staying here through the summer. Not my choice. My contract says I have to be here for a year. But, uh, yeah, I'm from Houston, Texas. I still go back in Houston, back and forth like it's nothing. It's just an hour drive. Yeah. Well, it, Houston, it's been a long time since I've been there, but I remember everything was an hour drive in Houston, as far as I recall. Like, that was one hell of a laid out city. It was like massive. You had to drive everywhere. And I had yeah. to transfer airports once. And I think that was like driving to a different state. It, they were so far away. Uh, ri- ridiculously far apart airports. The traffic is uh, the traffic is the main problem. Uh, the big, big, big problem is when you move to Houston is the traffic and the weather. Uh, those are the what, two big problems. What about burgers are there too, right? <laughs> what a burger, what? yeah. Yeah, Whataburger, a, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, this is a Texas thing because you talk to anyone like out of Texas, they think Whataburger sucks, and I, I think like um, they you bring up the Texas, they try there. Like I think it's because when they ex- Whataburger expanded outside of Texas, I think they start stop giving a shit. It's like yeah, it's not Texas. Like <laughs> where, where they give a fuck. I've never been to one before. I thought it was pretty good, uh, but I do remember being like high the entire time I was in Houston. <laughs> I was at the was it Laugh Stop? Is that the club? Laugh Stop? Yeah. I think it was Laugh Stop? Laugh Stop's been closed for a long time. Oh I yeah, it awesome. was a long time ago. Yeah, I think Laugh Bill Hicks uh recorded Same Man in, in, in the Laugh Stop, and I think that was in Austin. Oh well maybe it's comedy stop or something. Something with a stop yeah. or spot. It was either it had those four letters, spot or stop. Last, uh, yeah, I tried. I tried looking it up. Apparently, uh, it's not around no more. And there's this place oh, okay. called La- Laugh Spot or Laugh Stop. It's a, it's a driving school. I'm like, is that? Oh really? Yeah, L A F F, Spot or Stop. I can't remember. <laughs> I used, I like Texas clubs. I really I used to love Cap City in Austin. That was a great club. I feel I think the comedy scene is coming back though, especially in Austin. I hope so. Here in Toronto, I don't think they're going to open up for probably another two more months, three more months. I'm watching all my friends in the UK. They're all starting their tours again and doing all the clubs. I'm so jealous. A lot of people coming to come to Texas to do shows. A lot of people moving here, uh, to, especially comics. They they they, they they'll like start working as soon as they move here. Rogan, Elon Musk, two strong yeah, Elon- comics. <laughs> Apparently, anybody, anybody, anybody can be a comedian if you get them get writers. Uh, <laughs> now, I want I want to so, ask you this, but I want to uh, ask you this, but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure of it now. But like, I want to ask you: Are you you're Pete Joe Johansson, the comedian, correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I I watch your comedy a lot. And I go on YouTube, watch, watch watch like watch a bunch of clips at the Winnipeg uh, uh, Comedy Festival on Comedy Central. This is not happening. Oh, and like you're you're sure. like one of these you're one of these guys who changes whose appearance changes like every time they they go out in public. So I was like <laughs> during the whole during the whole process, I was like I hope I'm inviting the the, the right P jo, uh, Johansson. I'm not inviting some college professors like that. That's curious. Like, why, why would this kid want to invite me? But like, <laughs> I, I'm sure of it now, though. Yeah, no, I do. I changed my look uh, quite a bit, I guess. I, I'm also a yo-yo dieter, like depending on how I feel. Like, I've always been able to put on weight really fast and lose weight really fast, so I'm not locked in any sort of, you know, and I don't know. There hasn't been a lot of reason to be good looking for a while. So <laughs> haven't been, <laughs> but I mean, if, if it comes up again, I'll, I'll probably try, but yeah. <laughs> you're the Christian bell of comedy. Just no, never look the same. Yeah. <laughs> Christian Bale. Oh, bet he'd yeah. be terrible at comedy. Eh? Imagine how serious he'd take the audience. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh, he better not play a movie uh, where he plays like well, what, um, like what uh, historically great comic does Christian Bell resemble? Does he? Yeah, I, you know he's gonna look like George Carlin if he had, they ask him to play George Carlin. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Although yeah. George Carlin was a brilliant comic, he I didn't think he was that great a performer early on in his career. 
And it took him a while to find his voice. If you watch his sort of evolution from the 60s, he didn't really take a stance till the end of the decade. He was sort of like, and I find that's kind of an interesting evolution that a lot of uh, the people that we admire a lot in the arts is that we think that they're so rigorously artistically uh, uh, bound to their belief structure, but a lot of them didn't start out that way at all. Like David Bowie's another example. David Bowie just wanted to be famous, but his constant search for what would make him different and proves that he actually developed something unique and artistic. Eh, just sort of a lesson not to judge people too harsh, I guess, when they're starting. <laughs> you know, you know, who's, you know who started out who was kind of hacky was um, Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> Yeah, you can see that. You can see how, like, because his, his comedy is a bit un unorthodox. I saw his uh, special live at the Purple Onion. And, like, he's like, yeah, there's but, nobody. And that's, and that's long after. When I first saw him, he used to do, he used to brush his hair all straight up and uh, play like a real sort of slapsticky sort of thing. And, and his sort of voice developed over time into that sort of really interesting, unique character. But, yeah, it's it's kind of it is a lesson that we gotta give comics leeway to to fuck up and do their own thing at the beginning so that they can eventually be who they want to be. Yeah, that leeway to fuck up is really important because I could tell Zach Galifianakis he, he 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 I could like my analysis I, I don't watch his comedy a lot but my analysis like watching him is like he's always been like that but like the more comfortable he is the better he looks on stage uh, doing what he does best. Yeah. I think when he started playing the piano, that's when he started feeling comfortable because he had sort of like a like a defense mechanism. You can see that with with Bo Burnham sort of adopted the same thing to a certain degree. I thought, like uh, a, an instrument that uh, sort of slowly plays in the background. Nick Thune does it with a guitar, where they have that constant sort of um, it's like a protective design. You're protecting yourself from the silence. I think it's quite an interesting, unique thing. But you couldn't do it with like, you know, like a piccolo <laughs> or something like. That. <laughs> tambourine <laughs> that would yeah. work plus like steve martin would come on uh, come on come on with a banjo sometimes uh oh and, yeah 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 you know uh there's some people who like you see that that uh sometimes what i don't like is uh when i watch someone when it looks like they're trying too hard that that makes me a little bit uncomfortable like they're super yeah, desperate. I mean, it depends. Yeah, if you're desperate, it doesn't come across. But sometimes, like, I never noticed it in North America, but in the UK, sometimes if you don't try, they they turn against, they want you to work. Like they feel like they're paying you. So they want you to sort of risk, I don't know. It's, it was, it was, there's always that fine balance between the, you'd have to put in a certain amount of effort. They wouldn't come to your mentality. You'd have to meet them halfway. But yeah, every place is different. What's, yeah, it, like, what's the scene like in, in Houston? Is it is it very diverse? Does it have a lot of like a different energy kind of going out? Yeah, very diverse. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of funny people, though. But it's like our, our comedy is like our rap music. It's like just uh, very <laughs> in all very local. You, you have to be here from gay. Like if someone go, goes up to where you're at and stops playing, starts playing Chopped and Screwed, you say, ah, it's not my style. It's very disruptive, though. You <laughs> listen to Chopped and Screwed music. In, in Toronto, what? But, uh, it, but it's it's same like you know, people, and it's not like that. People, are, pe there's people are who are hilarious. It's just like man, not many of the big names coming. It's just a bunch of people like, uh, it, it's like blue collar some sort of way. You know, people working to get to 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 be good, but be good at it. Well, I, I think that there's a real place for that blue collar um, sort of everyman voice. It got taken away the last. I think in every art, uh, the blue collar voice has been stripped away for the last 20 years by rich kids and the sons and daughters of rich people and famous people. Like all you see now are, are the offspring of the connected that are famous. <laughs> we need a whole new class of, 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 of new voices. I mean, you, you would never get a voice like Richard Pryor today because he wouldn't have an uncle in the industry. You know, he'd have an uncle and, you know, who ran a whorehouse, not like uh, a, an actual voice in the industry. And, voices like that that have a unique perspective you know they, they kind of get pushed out by this sort of uh rich underclass of of trust fund connected sort of stardom like i this is i i directly will not engage with any famous person's kids <laughs> of any in any art 
I don't, I don't care what they are. I mean, I, oh, you're Colin Hanks. Sorry. As much as I like your dad, dad, fuck you. Go become a plumber. Uh, oh, it's the, it's, you know, Will Smith's kids. You know what? Fuck you. <laughs> and you're dumb. You're really dumb. <laughs> fuck off. Like every, every son and daughter of anybody famous, just go fuck themselves. <laughs> Speaking of Will Smith, Will Smith's kids, uh, here's here's what's messed up. It's not only the, the them, but it's like the people who perceive them. Do you notice how Willow Smith, who I like, I follow on Instagram. Like the better she got at music, the less people give a fuck about her. She learned how to play guitar. She learned how to sing, but not not. <laughs> but you don't see our MTV no more. No more. Like she's not no, no, no. longer that t- cute ten year old that used to, to to sing like repetitive songs. Or, or whatever but like now nobody gives a fuck about her because <laughs> she, she's spiritually yeah, I, evolved i never I, ne- I don't know who I, I honestly i don't know anything about her other than i i know that will smith has kids but that's about as far as i i, I know i <laughs> i know that my wife listens to them but i don't <laughs> no yeah um and like another thing is uh uh we're kind of really refrained especially on the come up like it's not we thought like you know it's not like also you know kids are like young guys like me are afraid to be edgy you know not trying not to fan but it's also uh afraid to be different you know like there's so much stuff i want to do that's like because i don't want to when i go on stage like my mentality is not to be like you know you know just a, just a funny guy just i want to like be remembered like if you you're watching 20 people come up you i want i want you to rem i want to stick out in a way and like there's so little I could do to do that. Like there's not like very rare cases. There's going to be like a, punch, a joke in the punchline set up that, that you can remember. But if I, you know, they say if I go over my time, they tell me, hey, get off the stage. They take the microphone. I mean, I get off stage and play the piano because there's a piano off the stage. And I ain't getting <laughs> off the fucking. Yeah. You know, that's you know, that's like less acceptable. I'm just not going to be invited back if I do that. No, he can't do that. Well, there's another way to get attention, though, and that's authenticity. I mean, as we as we uncover the layers of ourselves and we become more honest with ourselves, we become more honest with the audience. And that creates this sort of uh, bravery, I guess, courage that draws an audience, I think. And uh, I, I think that that's something that universally works in comedy to a certain degree, but it's hard to do in the beginning because we're we have these established fears. We want laughs. We want... We have all these sort of things that we want, but we don't realize at first how important it is that it comes from looking inward rather than outward. And that's, I think that just comes with the comfort of the stage. You know, you get, you get, you spend more time on stage, you become less fearful of what it presents and you can start doing more things. I don't know. I, I, honestly, I, I wouldn't listen to anything I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh- and uh, like, especially like one thing comedy hasn't changed in is like, it's like you have to work and get lucky and, and like not, not get lucky as in like you're rolling dice as in get lucky. Like as soon as you get an opportunity that may or may not ever come, you have to jump on it. And like in, in, in today's society, like people or people are famous for nothing. You know, yeah. uh, you could be like Norman Donald said, you could be famous for having a fat ass and we don't remember the last guy who landed on the moon. That's but like that's how it is today. Like you, all you need is a smartphone and look cute. There's there's people famous just for being gay. Like that's not even an exaggeration. Yeah. Uh, 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 like I'm a like a guy who who's gay, who's in the wheelchair, and who likes to do make do his makeup, and that's it. He's he's viral. He has like a million some followers, and people people follow him. But I understand that to a certain degree because it's an experience that we don't all have. Like. I think, again, I think this is an evolutionary sort of thing, though, for myself. It's like when I watch comedy, when I think about comedy that makes me laugh, I'd never watch myself because, like, I know what my life's like and it doesn't really interest me in my experiences. I look for experiences I've never had in the perspective that they bring. I think that's kind of why, I mean, I like people that grew up in different ethnicities, people that grew up in different sort of uh, struggles and shapes. I think maybe as a kid, that's why Richard Pryor uh, uh, like really drew me and, and Sam Kinison and, and these uh, voices of, of experiences that I didn't share, you know, the son of a preacher, you know, like that was crazy. The son of a, a, a you know, like a extreme poverty and racial sort of exclusion like that. It's not, I'm, I'm not going to be familiar with that growing up in, you know, Canada. 
So those, those experiences really sort of invigorated me to a different perspective. So when I see people that are famous for having exceptionally diverse experiences, I think I understand that. Like, I understand, like, you can sit back and go, fuck, that must be really interesting, hard, fascinating, like all of these sort of adjectives that we've applied to that perception that are so different from, you know, growing up in an orcharding community where I did. <laughs> you know? Like, that's, I, at least that's the perspective I take on it. Whereas I find the, the points of view of the famous children to be all the same sort of materialistic sort of purchasing consumer uh, vanity, uh, shallow perspective that sort of is less engaging as the whole. But again, I shouldn't really be speaking in absolutes. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's exceptions. Yeah, because, and the way it's different is because, you know, you, you I see a lot of comics, you, people go on HBO, like, like you, you go on Comedy Central, uh, you, you, you go on TV and, 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 and all, uh, and all these people uh, watch you and you're still not as, uh, and you're still not recognized like that Mitch Hedberg joke. Uh, uh, anyone see my appearance on the Letterman? You know, 50 million people watched it, and I have I have no idea where they're at. More people have seen me at the store, and that's like just... <laughs> that's kind of the it's it's a weird effect the whole uh, television thing because it's different now too. Uh, I, the first time I'm trying to remember the first network I did uh, my first network show in the U.S. was um, uh, the Late Late Show, and I remember I did it and. I got recognized the next day and then I never got recognized again. <laughs> like, so the, so the, the, so it had that one day of, of airing and then you're, you're recognized the next day and then that's it. Whereas now with YouTube, with uh, sort of viral videos and stuff like that, that kind of, I, I get messages now from things I did years ago from people that just saw it. And it's a kind of a really and you have to engage with ideas that you don't necessarily have anymore. Like when, um, like there's some ideas that I've evolved past, but there's still, you know, my, my jokes when I said it at the time and it's like, and people will be like, Oh, I really like this joke. I can't go. Well, well, I don't, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, okay. I, uh, like, I'm glad, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It puts me in a, a difficult situation because I don't necessarily subscribe to the same ideas anymore. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I never used to watch um, stand-up or listen to stand-up, I should say, until this year, until COVID too. Like I never allowed myself to listen to other comics really, except for like my heroes. Um, and I listened to all my uh, peers and their CDs and stuff like that this year. It's been a real sort of wake up call and how good everybody is. And I didn't realize it. <laughs> I don't I think I would have like had this. such a big ego had I listened to it. <laughs> they're still dropping CDs at this point in their careers. Is it safe to say they haven't made it yet? I don't know. Oh, yeah, oh, I see CD. I, I should just say track or digital album. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. I, um, they, like, right. They're still popular in Canada. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it. I, the only place I see a CD player is in my truck, and it's because it's that, it's that old. <laughs> All right. What... Um, what would you say would be the highlight of your career at this point? Uh, man, I don't know. At the time, everything seems pretty cool. And then, you know, three years looking back, it all seems kind of silly. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's been lots of things I've enjoyed. I mean, Just for Laughs, the galas have always been really, the, the Just for Laughs sort of is a, it's like comedy camp. So you're there with hundreds of your favorite comics from around the world. And uh, there's been certain JFLs where they were, I mean, the early ones were, of course, the most amazing when, you know, hanging out with Mitch Hedberg and, you know, all the, all the guys at the start of their careers. I didn't know it. You, you didn't know it back then. You didn't know how big everybody was going to be. You didn't know Zach Galifianakis was going to be a star. You didn't know, like, uh, just, you know, I, I remember hanging out with Dave Chappelle. You didn't know at the time he was going to become this iconic voice, you know, that sort of, uh, that he'd evolved into you, you, you couldn't predict it but you knew there was something special you know couldn't put your finger on it but it was special um edinburgh the edinburgh festival i think is kind of one of the coolest experience i guess getting nominated in edinburgh was one of the bigger things that i really enjoyed that was like it's something that's not well known in north america but in the rest of the world it's considered a huge uh accolade and uh that was a that was a real cool thing I did a I did a command performance for a super rich uh, uh, guy 
who owned a mansion in the seashells and he flew me in for 24 hours. That was pretty cool. Just for the experience of sort of doing a show for one guy and 60 prostitutes in his home built theater. Uh, <laughs> did, he let, did he let you at least have one? Damn. Nope. No, we weren't, weren't allowed to, to, I wasn't allowed to, to mingle with any of the staff of any type. We just, <laughs> we just came into the theater, the show, and then we were rushed back to our resort hotel. <laughs> hey, like you said you met dave Chappelle, and that's another weird case was this before he went missing or or after he quit the sh- or after he quit the show it was before it was way before i don't think you realize how old i am um <laughs> this is long before any of that this is this has been 99 i think mm-hmm. uh this is 22 years ago jesus that's crazy um yeah uh, he was he was doing films and stand up and stuff like that. This was uh, prior to his show, I think, being on the air, uh, because he wasn't that famous. He was still doing like he, I think he'd just done Half Baked, the movie with Harlan Williams and um, who's that other guy that was in it? Uh, another stoner. It was like a, a stoner film. But uh, yeah, it, it, that was a it was a long time. Ago. <laughs> The thing that, like, well, we, we, like we we talked about like people who who are fans for nothing, and these people who are who have who are like recognized all they're on camera all the time, like they're always uh, posting every day. They're always like doing whatever. They're, like they get a give a crack at music, even though they're not good at it. But the the they uh, someone like Dave Chappelle is like is like the way he became a cultural icon is because like his work became sort of a rarity like it was rare for dave Chappelle to like to show up as someone else like like because you know he get he you know he does Chappelle show two seasons the, the thing is like becomes this uh, like this like famous like icon he became an icon uh ju- just off the show alone and what really made it like like the it's valley priceless is that there's only two seasons of it when he when he quit and like uh, and like that was it and he was just like, when like everyone was asking, "Where's Dave Chappelle?" Like nobody knows. It's like, like, like Kendrick, like Kendrick Lamar, d- drops music every like two years. This time, this time is weird. It's been a really long time. Now we're just like waiting for it. Drake's been dropping music like every like every other week, and like and we're like we're like and we're getting sick of it. Everyone's talking about like Drake isn't the same as he was when he was young. It was like, like. We're just wait, waiting for Kendrick Finally, Lamar. Finally, Toronto Drake. topic. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it's like that that rarity that makes some like like the value of your uh, uh, well, your worth uh, go up. Well, I think you've pointed out something that's kind of interesting um, that's changed about fame, and maybe it's changed about the way we consume celebrity to a certain degree is that it's become more familiar and there's more access. There used to be a, a very limited access. There's an anticipation and excitement of rarity when somebody would release something. And also it was more polished because of it. You'd have a high quality thing and you'd actually spend time to sort of analyze it. If you look at two seasons of, of the Chappelle show, they're fantastic. I mean, they, they uh, were the first to address some openly structurally racist, co- not the first, that's not fair to say, because there was actually a lot of shows that did, but it did it in a very funny way. Like they, he, he fucking hit it when he, when he talked about the structural racism and the blindness uh, of, of white people's vision to it, he made people laugh at their structural racism. And that was, I mean, it was amazing. Nobody kind of really done made you laugh that hard at it. Whereas before comedy had addressed it, but didn't really fucking get you in the gut, you know? Um, so I think that with the rarity of it certainly made him an icon, but also his clarity of his speech. Like, I mean, he addresses things with an honesty and, you know, he says things that I don't necessarily uh, uh, all, I don't agree with everything he says, but I don't, in no way do I not respect his fearlessness in tackling and, and, and stating things. And also who cares what I think it's his comedy, <laughs> you know, like who cares what anybody thinks it's he's true to himself. And that's fucking beautiful to watch in any situation, you know? So that's a rarity when you sit there on Instagram and you fucking post your every time you brush your teeth or talk to yourself in the mirror, 
after a while, no matter how many followers you get, that sort of familiarity isn't celebrity, that's familiarity. And that's a completely different entity. There's not an admiration for the rarity of the quality of an art. There's a thought that that person's my friend. And that's two psychological different sides of a coin. And I think that's what a lot of people in the modern sort of uh, accessible universe have missed to a certain degree. Yeah, because like... If try to imagine like when family guy got canceled the first time there was like well only like three four seasons of it like imagine if they never came back and seth mcfarland disappeared and it was like (laughs) the way we would think of family guy would be we would think uh differently now but (laughs) we just had so much of it after it got canceled the first time he came down to the to the improv where i was a regular at in l.a and he was doing stand-up, and he was terrible. <laughs> and I hung out with him a couple of times. Like uh, he's really good friends with Steve Marmel, who's a brilliant writer and comic. And uh, Steve introduced me, and I watched him go up and bomb. And he wasn't doing well at all on stage. And then at the end of his set, he mentioned he was the creator of Family Guy, and the audience lost their minds. And then everything he said was funny. <laughs> but it was a really interesting sort of duality. <laughs> That's another strange thing. There's like some of these, some people, once they become, you know, it's like, like when you say, you, you look at a, a musical artist and says, you know, their, their work isn't what it used to be when they were young. Cause when they're first, when everyone, when they first start out in, in music, they, they're like really pouring their soul into it because it's like make or break. They got, they got uh, nothing to lose and everything to gain. But, but as soon as like, uh, like like 10 years later in their career isn't it, it doesn't give you the same feeling uh, and i think it's the same with comedy like like the more and i think it's more of a fan base thing the more you pick up a following the more it's it's those people who will laugh at like stuff that will normally not be funny to to in, in a crowd of unknowns when you're an open micer will be funny to to to, to the people who who lo- love and admire you yeah yeah you're right that's a, that's a, I think music has an advantage though, because music will uh, have a longer longevity in a person's life, I think, at least mentally, whereas comedy will love something, like you'll hear a joke, but you'll never laugh at it as hard as the first time you laugh at it. It always has uh, diminishing returns to a certain degree because you're learning, you're learning the perspective. So it has less surprise effect. And uh, the initial surprise is powerful. And like, especially when it shakes you like, whoa, fuck, you know, those are great, but you can't get back there. You know, it's like, it's like Coke, you know, like, or a drug. It's like that first rush is a killer, but you'll never, if you try to chase it, you're never going to find it again. That's kind of the disadvantage of comedy, I think, to a certain degree. Yeah, it's like, and some people are, 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 are and here's where the like, the greatest people to, to ever do is like people who don't give you that feeling. Like you watch... Like I remember watching Louis C.K. Uh, his uh, uh, shame on uh, Shameless. I, I bust, I like bust out crying, laughing. And usually, when when someone drops like a special, like by the next one, like you know what they're talking, like what they're about, and like that, it's not as funny. It's still funny, but it's not as funny. It doesn't like, it's not gut wrenching. You're not, uh, it doesn't drop you to the floor in laughter. But Louis C.K. is able to always come come back with some that, that gives you that gut wrenching, uh, laugh, laughing, rolling on the ground. You almost feel like you're going insane. Cause you're laughing so hard. Like that's what makes him one of the greats to do it. Yeah. Personal, um, uh, personal life and decision-making outside of comedy aside, he had like a really incredible, uh, what we what I brought up earlier, that sort of introspective honesty that you peel off when you go inside yourself and sort of reveal it with an authentic authenticity of the audience. Yeah. He always had a really great uh, ability to do that. Um, yeah. I, I, he's one of the, one of the real sort of top of that level. Again, uh, though, I think Chappelle does it more for me in that sense. Uh, I, I, again, I like, I like this sort of this, the self, uh, narrative that he sort of presents when he looks inside himself, but you know, it teach their own. Yeah. What, whoever, I, again, there's no right or wrong in comedy. It's whatever we respond to perspective wise. <laughs> yeah. There's no right or wrong. It's like, I'm talking about that. Um, when you watch someone in like the, the, uh, the way they impact you, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld, like I love Jerry Seinfeld. I think he's hilarious, but you know, if he, um, you know, uh, 
you know, he's going to repeat a joke, a joke every once in a while. That's like, you know, uh, it's not not it's never going to be as funny <laughs> as the first time. And it's no, never going to be a, like never going to catch you off guard as it, as it usually does. Yeah, see, I like Larry David. <laughs> he was he's I, he makes me laugh like uh, like nobody's business. Uh, his uh, very first Curb Your Enthusiasm, the the pilot that it's based on, which is they were trying to get him to do an HBO special, and the whole pilot was about him sort of trying to not do it. I think it's still one of the funniest thirty minutes of television that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, like, but I, I like really stupid stuff, though. I mean, my favorite movie is still Super Troopers, and I'm like, Jesus, I'm way too old oh. for that. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen that a pretty funny movie. Now. Uh, <laughs> forgot what i was about to bring up but it's sort of like that it's all right. um might might have dead air for a second well i remember because I, I there was something i wanted to bring up <laughs> dead air was um, all right no it's not because i don't like doing the editing it's oh okay yeah i, I hear it. this is like, when, you know, like um, i said i said before, this is like, oh um my name hopefully hopefully sunday um oh, cool. you know you the way it works down here like some places you gotta like sign up through email uh yeah like five days before at a certain time and they're like sometimes they don't say to the day of like they'll send you the list of everyone that's going on everyone that's going oh, on man. so are the lists getting longer and longer uh it, it varies by week like if it's a very active week it's out of like you know what 17 people if, wow. if not, like, what do you get? Not, five, you get five minutes? Yeah, we get five minutes each. And there's always like some places that I, that I like to do these better is like you go there and like it's just a, a an actual paper list. You write your name down. Then they then right before the show, it's they, they put the list up like in order of who's going. But, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm still at that stage where I'm, uh, I'm I'm like at the bottom of the list, uh, bottom of the list. And I was like, you know. It, it, it's just motivating to me is like just uh, to you know like i said i want to be remembered but i'm afraid of being in, in my attempt to be remembered that i've become so disruptive that i get kicked out well yeah that's a bad that's a that, that would be a bad thing you don't want to you don't want to also be too disruptive because people will remember you for that and one thing as much as we don't want to believe it uh, there's a sort of an interconnectivity of uh, goodwill amongst your co-comedians, and that can hold you back if there if if a lot of people don't like, you know, because th those things affect other comics too. Like if going long and and stuff like that, it affects their shows, and that's kind of not, yeah, not the best thing. There's other ways to do it. There's there's yeah, you know, it's uh, always just be so funny they can't ignore you. That's who, who's that? Steve Martin that said that. That's I think that's still the best <laughs> advice anybody's ever given for comedy. You know. <laughs> I think the um, the thing is like I, I what I want to do is like get enough clout, you know, like everyone know, like knows who I am to a point where like if I am disruptive, they they say, you can "Oh no, crush that's your enemies." <laughs> the, uh, yeah, like oh no, like why why is this guy this guy's hilarious, but why is he playing the piano after he got off the stage? Oh no, he always does that. That, that, that that's what he does. Like that that's the type of because like I, I've li I've listened to like. Patrice O'Neill stories. Here's the story of Patrice O'Neill that I've heard, and I think I might butcher it a bit, but here's the gist of it: that him, Burr, and a couple of other comics went to go do a gig for a animal rights organization, if I'm not mistaken. And like everybody, because it's a bunch of liberal animal rights people, that they're, they're not they're there for a serious matter, and they're not fine. And like everybody who goes up is bombing. Patrice goes up and he's like. The first thing that comes out of us, I had a puppy this morning. I'm gonna tell you how I seasoned it. <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> like the shock face in their looks, which is what was what he was going for. And like they try to like take the microphone away him away from him. He's like, nah, I ain't getting off right now. And it was like they they like cut his mic off. And it was like, then like like what I said, there's a piano right uh right off like on the side of the stage, and he goes like, I ain't getting off yet. It was like and like the reason that that's so memorable is because like it's already been 10 years that since he died that that story is still is still being told and it's like so hilarious to to hear about it yeah but he's also he wasn't at the start of his career when he did that 
he was already an established known entity for funny. So that's a different thing between doing that when you're packing a gun. So it's like threats, right? Uh, if you've got a gun that you know is full of, you know, ammunition that that kills, like just joke after joke after joke that, you know, this is good, this is powerful stuff. You can you can then sort of be more uh, you can break down the format. You can be more rebellious. But if you don't have a, anything in your gun, you're just bluffing, and people get tired of bluffing. So that's kind of the balance there. So Patrice at that point was already a killer. He had a he had a he had a rifle full of ammunition, and so he could do that. And it's the same thing. Bill Burr has a very similar story uh, when he was in Philadelphia, and uh, oh, he went against yeah. the audience. Yeah. Um, like these are, these are at that time, the, the general public didn't, might not know who Bill Burr was, but comics knew who he was. I mean, he was fucking killing everywhere. Patrice was killing everywhere. Patrice had a, he had a, a power on that stage that was mesmerizing, you know? Um, so I don't think, uh, I, I think that you kind of have to look at in the context of when so these are these are comics that are frustrated at the at the level of frustration where they know that every time they step on stage they're they're blindingly good but they're not getting the sort of the the recognition so they were trying to create a sort of disruptive sort of thing to get them more attention at that time and it makes sense at that point but if you do that early and you don't have anything to back it up it's that it has a the opposite effect on your career it actually shuts you down and you become less of an entity. So you have to sort of consider the complexity of when you do these uh, things like that. Like if you're killing, fuck yeah, you know, and you're not getting the attention, you gotta, you gotta make, you gotta make waves. But if you're not killing, you gotta work on killing first, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I, I, like you, you mentioned it was a gun. Like, uh, like if, like I have a, if it was a loaded gun, like if you see my comedy, like, uh, there's a 50 50% chance that every time I pull the trigger, the clip falls out. That's me. Like I, I have like, I know I have funny thoughts. I have funny thoughts. I can make people That's laugh. Funny. <laughs> so, so, but like, you know, Oh shit. Um, uh, Oh, what am I going to do? Like, then I just freeze because I, I got in, nothing. I put, it in, I put it in gun, gun terminology. Cause you're in, you're in Texas. I thought that was the best way to get the idea across. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's natural. Those that we all do that. I mean, God, everybody, there's not a single good comic that didn't struggle. There's nobody that was a natural, like that's kind of a made up concept, the natural comic. Whenever people started thinking somebody was instantly good, they actually developed someplace else out of sight for two years. You know, <laughs> like that's, it's, it's the same case. There's no overnight successes. There's, developing and writing and sticking to it and loving it loving it's a big thing if you love comedy you'll draw it'll drive you forward you'll always be kind of thinking about in your head the next sort of idea the next time you get on stage to try something i mean that's an infectious and powerful sort of uh, uh I, I thing and i i, I don't know uh, i don't know if i'm making any sense but i i envy you where you are because that's such a a wonderful time in your career to the freshness of new material, the the fear when you walk on stage, is this going to fucking work or, or, or are they going to be looking at their phones the entire time? Like it, that's a terrifying feeling. But when you win them over, when you know, when you, when you start walking on the stage and you know that there's nothing that audience can do, but pay attention to you because what you've got is so strong that happens. And when that happens, that's, that's fucking, that's a power that you can't explain explain in anybody else's career that only stand-ups have it's cool yeah the way i describe myself is like i'm a funny motherfucker i just can't do stand-up yet it's like you know karate karate <laughs> movies uh you know you ever see a like a martial arts movie and there's always one guy who who's better than the better than the other guy it was like uh this like in the bruce lee movie bruce lee is the best guy but there's this one guy who knows a little bit of karate there's this guy that knows more than him who kills the, who kills that guy and the, I'm I'm like that first guy that gets killed in the karate movie that kind of knows karate. <laughs> that you know I can be okay. funny. To, I can be funny. I'm, I'm a funny motherfucker to people who aren't comics on the street. Well, now, that's around, 
You know that Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan started out like that. Yeah. He was, he was one of those guys that got killed early I'm, on in the movies. <laughs> I'm Jackie, I'm Jackie Chan and Ender the Dragon. I'm just the extra so far that that you know, <laughs> I got a job. I get to get my ass kicked by Bruce Lee and just one and like barely appear on camera. Like you see that 1970s camera, you'll see my my blurry face <laughs> get my That's me. But, you know, like I'm funny to people on the street. I'm I'm like the funny coworker. I'm the class clown. But that's because I'm around people who aren't comics. Like you go around people who are comics. Like I'm the guy, I'm the first guy to get, get his ass kicked. I'm the first guy who kind of knows karate to get killed. That's that's like, that's me right now. But that's what happens. You know, you start off like that. And you slowly go up the go up the ranks. I'm glad to hear that comics still uh, bust each other's chops. I thought that was gone. That's cool. That was when I, I remember, I remember being on the bottom of that totem for years. It, it it makes you better comic. How long did it take you for the to develop to be uh not 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 to be, be like to be comfortable on stage where you say, look, man, I could bomb, but I'm more com- I'm really comfortable that I can kill kill tonight. Like how like how long did it take I, you for to be com- comfortable on stage? It took me a really long time, uh, longer than most of my peers, to be honest with you. Uh, I think I, w- I think what changed for me is I, I went to I moved from my hometown to another city and became the house MC at a club. So I got to go on stage every single night, like five nights a week to MC these shows. And that amount of time on stage, even though I wasn't being very good, that <coughs> constant time on stage allowed me to evolve. And that was probably about six or seven years in. Before that, I was I was always afraid going on stage. I was shaking. I was like, I didn't move around. I'd put both hands on the microphone and I'd just talk into it like that. And then, um, yeah, that that sort of allowed me, that freed me, you know, allowed me to be comfortable on stage. But all my friends only took them like three years, two years before they got pretty comfortable. I was like the late bloomer of everybody. So it, it, I'm not the best example of it. But it all just comes with stage time. The more stage time you get, the better you get. If you don't, if you don't get stage time, it's tough. It's really hard. Um, and I imagine now there's different avenues. Like I imagine YouTube provides a certain amount, but it's that feedback. You you create this feedback loop with the audience. You learn a new uh, way to communicate. Where you're, a lot of people think comics are just talking, but 50% of what we do is listening. We're listening to the audience. We're reading it. We're, we're we're getting a vibe. We're responding to what the audience is doing. You know, if they're not if they're not sort of going with this idea, we have to repackage it and recommunicate it to them in a different way so that they will join us. You know, uh, and you learn that sort of communicative skill over time, and only through a dialogue with large groups of people. And it's hard to develop in other situations. So, you know, get on stage. Yeah. <laughs> I record I record my sets just like audio, just to like so I can listen back and it's like, all right, well, what am I doing wrong? What, what how how am I sounding on stage? Now when I go on stage, I black out. That's why I need to record because I get off stage, like I can't remember was I how was I holding the mic? Now I need to record I need to record vi- and start recording with video so I can like see my see myself. But one I, I can feel like you ever seen Greg Giraldo do his stand-up like and I, I I seen him do this and like I've been doing it ever since that he grips the mic, stretches his fingers wide and grips the mic with both hands while saying like you. Now he's comfortable on stage. I'm not comfortable, but that's the mm-hmm. most comfortable thing I could do. Like that just comes like, like that's a, like this is a, like a natural motion to me. So I, I, I've been doing that a lot. Now, well, what I, I try I used, to do is- like, I used to do the same thing. Yeah, but like, I, um, yeah. one thing I noticed I need to do is, uh, I need to uh, say with my chest, I always say here, um, I need, I need to speak more like, cause I have a stutter and like, I have, you know, this quiet demeanor. Like I'm not, sh- uh, insecurity with what, what I'm about to say is, is, is going to be fun. like, so if I tell a joke mm-hmm. like that, if I stutter or if I like, you know, don't like, I need to work on my delivery. Now what mm-hmm. I do is, um, when I go on stage is like, I, I think of one random funny thought. I, I have like planned material not plan like like stick to a script but more like i got these jokes in mind that i i might uh, i'm gonna tell tonight and like i'm juggling let's say i have a red white and blue ball and i'm juggling them now 
what I'm trying to do is while I'm juggling, I was like, all right, I think I'm going to need to throw. I'm going to need to throw the white ball. And like, I need to throw it like and be accurate. Or when a joke doesn't work out, it's like, uh, okay, white ball. Oh no, I threw the blue one. Or, oh no, I dropped it. Like that, that's, that's, that's basically my thought process. But when I go on stage, it's like a first, one random funny thought. That's not a joke I had written. And there's not like some, I'm reading the room, like what was going on here? And like, I'm thinking like one thing, like um, uh, a random funny thought that, that could captivate, captivate the audience. Like, and then after that, whether they laugh or not, I know where this show is going to, show is going to go good or not. Hmm. Well, yeah, I, I, I think that's a, that's an honest account of uh, how it feels when you start out. Like uh, if, if the audience doesn't find that random funny thought funny, I, I, I used to sabotage myself with that too. I'd always try something brand new right off the top. And then I'd kind of, if the crowd didn't like it, then these guys are idiots. <laughs> but a lot of the time that's me because it's, it's, my, it's my own limited perspective uh, doing it. But you're doing everything right. It sounds like it, uh, that's that's the way you approach the the difficulty of, of presenting to the audience. You've got three ideas juggling, and then you got a funny thought where you're sort of assessing the crowd. I used to do a joke that had three levels off the top, so I could kind of figure out where the audience found, like where their humor lies. Like one it would be a very broad joke, but it would have two subtle tags, and if they laughed really hard at the very subtle tags, I'd go in a direction where they, you know, were a little more subtle, more sophisticated, but if they didn't, they if they both fell dead, I'd know, you know what, fuck that, this is gonna be obvious. So we, we, we do these little things to sort of learn about who we're performing in front of to adjust to it, you know? But yeah, you sound like you're on the right track and the fact that you love it, it's just a matter of time. How old are you? Do you mind me asking? I'm 19. Oh, Jesus, that's yeah. great. How, and how, how, how many years ago did you start? <laughs> started in december i think yeah and this year <laughs> well year, yeah, yeah you're it's, it's gonna be a while um especially during covid you're not getting a lot of stage time but once oh, you it, we i am gonna say something in. uh okay, there's like well, a show show like a couple shows i go to every week that's great though like 19 that's a good age it's a good age for it. it's a good age to sort of like yeah, uh, yeah, you've got enough mental power. You've got you're on the verge of life experience where people kind of get what you're talking about. Um, that's always difficult when you're really young. I remember when I was really young, I didn't have anything that anybody wanted to hear me say because <laughs> I was young. Um, so you couldn't talk about relationships because you know, oh, what does this guy know about relationships? He's like 17. What the fuck? Um, <laughs> yeah. But you, 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 you sort of. I don't know. There's there's some beauty in that at 19, where you're starting to come into the the adult realm. I don't know. That's a that's fun. I'm I, I'm envious of you. <laughs> yeah. You ever see people uh, people you admire uh, and you try to do the math uh, on like when they start? Like I, I remember when I wanted to do martial arts, I was like, all right, uh, Bruce Lee. What age did he start? Like I'm 12 years old at the time. Well, uh, he started like what? Oh, five, age five. All right. Oh shoot. I uh, can't be Bruce Lee anymore. Uh, that was that was like nine years ago. Uh, John uh, Jackie Chan, age three. Fuck. All right. Uh, I'm twelve. I'm twelve years old at the time. So uh, John Claude uh, John Claude Van Damme, age fifteen. Bingo. I'm gonna do his. I'm gonna do his shit. That's <laughs> or like uh, Jimi Hendrix, start playing guitar at age fifteen. I'm nineteen. Oh shit. Uh, how can I how can I catch up at this point? Uh, so I bought a guitar right away. Yeah, that's that that career. Yeah, I think Chappelle, Chappelle started when he was thirteen, I think, or far as eleven. Yeah. He's eleven or thirteen. Yeah, I think that's uh, the youngest I ever heard of for stand up. But in, uh, like in, in stand up, a lot of people start like in their twenties. Like they have to, a lot of people have to get a sense that life isn't going their way before they start. So that that's how many people <laughs> people are. I, I've had someone on who who started like comedy in their thirties. I think that there's a big advantage to starting later that I, I mean, all I knew was stand up, you know, so I, I would have uh, benefited from some discipline and structure in my life rather than going straight from high school into hanging out with uh, 
a bunch of fucking narcissistic drug abusing comics. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I could have, I could have, I could have done with a little discipline and some sort of emotional development and some uh, proper role modeling, but uh, I didn't get that. It took me, uh, I think that probably slowed down and uh, hindered my ability to uh, evolve uh, as fast as I, I might have had I started, you know, mid twenties, because I started when I was sixteen, so. It was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, shoot. But like when you start that young, it's like you ever see like, uh, you know, uh, someone 100 years ago left their bike by a tree. No one has ever moved it. And the tree grows around the bike that the bike is fused into the tree. And I think that's all. Like, yeah. yeah. And like my the way I was thinking about it, like uh, I've been wanting to do this since I was like 14. That's how long I've been wanting to. I didn't start until I was 19. Now, it was like. If I, I was like, you know, my brain, like, I'm still going through life. Like, I'm about to, I'm, I'm moving out. I'm about to see some, some, I'm about to see some shit. Now, I want to start doing stand-up. So, like, let's say this microphone is, is stand-up. Uh, and I was like, the more experience and life experience I have, I know my, my brain, my, my comedic brain will wrap around it. Wrap around it like night. So it be, just becomes a part of me now. Mm -hmm. No, like fuck, like fuck your diary, like fuck a diary, fuck a journal. <laughs> like I, like I, I want to go on stage and, and and vent out. Like I want this to be like, you know, like a cyborg. I want to be like a cyborg where where my one of my features is, is uh, stand up. Like that's a way I I express myself. I want it to be. I want stand up to be a part of me. Like that's mm -hmm. how much I, I. That's how much I admire this. Yeah, and you want to make people laugh, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, fuck, the, fuck them. this for me you gotta look out for yourself nowadays i'm like you gotta you gotta put that in the equation someplace <laughs> but yeah um it, that's that's a given like when the well, endorphins like we used to say we used to have a thing about like when people used to talk to us and they go i want to do stand-up and the if you really want to do stand-up it's not a matter of you want to do stand-up it's that you can't not do stand-up because you do it, a lot of people over the time did it once or twice, and then they never went back to it again. But if you, there's this thing about standup is that you, you can't not go back to it if, it if it's part of what you are. And I, I could never not go back to it. I love, I love being on stage. I love that sort of creative energy. Um, and then, and you, and you run into people, the people that just plug it out that can't quit. And in a way that not being able to quit is what gets you through the hardest times in stand-up at the beginning when it's, you, you, you can't imagine, why would somebody go back and bomb for a year, two years, three years in a row? Like what kind of psychopath would do that? And it's like, because you can't quit. Because those one or two times that where it does click, you're trying to refine that. You're trying to figure out, you're trying to break it apart, find the code, trying to learn the sort of the secret to making that audience laugh every time and unlock it. And it's, there's no easy process. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a hell of a journey. I mean, the payoff's wonderful, but Jesus, it can be hard too. So, <laughs> you know, anyways, I do have to go soon, just so you know. All right. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna wrap this up. Like, that's a great ending until you say we have oh, to really? go. Uh, like, that was a great. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Mood. It's just a, I, oh, mother. Oh, I'm the worst. Right, dude, I'm sorry. Like, like, all right, Dad, I love you. I, I have to go soon. Right now, son, so, <laughs> all right. Uh, I do have an announcement to make how, before we wrap this up. Like, so really uh, quick though, how, how are, you, are your parents are support? Are they very supportive? Of, of they your don't know. Experience? They don't know I'm doing this. They don't know I'm doing this. <laughs> My mom knows I'm doing the podcast. One. My mom knows I'm doing okay. the podcast. My dad thinks it's a bad idea. They don't know I'm doing stand-up. So they just think, <laughs> uh, they think uh, uh, a 19-year-old, they think, hey, like my dad has a tracker on my phone. He really does. So he's like, uh, I'm at a bar. Like my dad thinks I'm drinking every night, like just getting shit-faced at, at an early age. Yeah. He thinks I'm partying. Like, dad, you don't, you don't, you know, I don't like to party. You know, this is strictly business that I'm doing. But just I, so I, you know, that, mean, that means your dad partied like that at that age. <laughs> <laughs> That's why uh, that's, he thinks that. <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. I know. I know because he told me. But all right. Now, uh, I do have an announcement to make. Uh, the, the, the podcast is fi going, finally going audio only. Uh, it, this is still going to be on YouTube. You, uh, people are still going to watch this. But audio is going on. Uh, podcast will now be, be on Spotify and, others, uh, and other streaming platforms for podcasts. Google, po Google Podcasts, Breaker, 
uh, all the all the the whole ordeal. So we're now finally now finally people can listen to us while while making the drive. People can listen just audio, <laughs> have their headphones in. So it's it's a big step. Big things are coming. All uh, this episode, uh, last episode, and this episode are going on Spotify right away. Uh, June first, all episodes will be available on Spotify. P. Joe Hansen, thank you for thanks so much for doing this. Uh, appreciate you coming. Thanks on. for having me. Anything, anything you want to say before we wrap? Good this luck. Up? No, no, that's that's cool. It's it, it's really fun to talk to you, and I, I I can't wait to sort of see how you uh, develop and where I see you next. So take care of yourself, and good luck with everything. All right, see you down the road, my friend. Yeah.